All right, good to be with you all this morning. Hope your uh, week is going well. The sunshine finally came out. And uh, we all are delighting at that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I was thinking about what used to be up on the board. <laughs> Who do I blame? Who do You know, what, do what? Were you all in here yesterday? We didn't use it. You were the last ones in here, though. We didn't use it. We just watched it. That is, that is a lame claim, let me tell you. Yes. Well, anyway, you know, we've been talking about... Um, this idea of what gratitude does and your relationship with God does to your uh, capacity to consider what's going on in other people's lives. I mean, that's what fuels this is that we've been talking to James about the whole idea. He says, you know, don't show favoritism and what was going on in, in, the, in James's day, and I'm assuming would go on today, is that somebody walks into an assembly, most likely it was a, a house church kind of setting or maybe the synagogue, and somebody would walk in and be finely adorned with really nice clothes and jewels and all kinds of stuff that would demonstrate uh, obvious wealth. And then there'd be somebody else that would come in who would be uh, not so much, um, very plain and perhaps demonstrating a life of poverty. And so what was happening was, was that they were giving deference to the people that were of wealth, or appeared to be anyway, um, and then they were kind of treating the poor in a very shoddy way. So, so that's what James is going after, is he says, you know, don't, don't show favoritism. We're going to hit that again today, because, it, because what it ended up doing was disparaging people and making judgments about people's insides on the basis of their outside, okay? And he's saying that if you do that, then number one, and we'll read it again, that you're guilty of breaking the law. You're breaking God's law when you do that. But more significantly, you're playing God because God is the only one that can look inside of a person's heart and truly tell if that person is a believer, not a believer, where that person is at in terms of their relationship with God. Um, irrespective of what, how they dress or, or what number of possessions they have that are evident uh, on the outside. So anyway, that's what, so uh, I had put up this, uh, can we imagine what it looked like last week? Can we imagine that? Or can I just quickly doodle it up here because I think better when I have a marker in my hand. So you need to put in the corner of there, do not erase in capitalism. You know, that just invites despair. <laughs> We have people in this church, I, I've, I've witnessed this. If you put do not erase up there, what happens is everything disappears except the do not erase sign. That's what, that's what happens, right? Okay, so remember this was the, the little uh, graphic that I put up, and this is not meaning to cause offense to anybody, but this is you and me, all right? And then this is God, trying God. And then this is somebody over here, who is enjoying plenty. Now, where I get that word from is in Philippians 4, where Paul is talking about this idea of being in plenty or in want. That's his, that's his language. So that's why I, I'm kind of using that uh, terminology. 
So if, if somebody is in want, that means that they're probably experiencing some sort of deprivation, <laughs> that there's probably a lacking in resources that they need or want or whatever it is in order to live their life. And then over here would be uh, plenty, right? So what we've been talking about is this idea that if a person in their relationship with God cuts themselves off from God, and God then is not the center and the grounder of that person, then what happens is it doesn't only affect that person, but it also affects the way in which that person reacts to other people. And so it's really hard, that's this kind of sideways looking, that's what we're talking about, is that that is so easy that when you see somebody who's really rolling in it, right? It's so easy at some point to have envy or some kind of jealousy about their good fortune. And it's even easy to think, well, they must have ripped somebody off in order to have that, right? I mean, it's just it's, it's our human nature to do that. But part of it is, see, is that what's really happening is that we're upset that that person has something that I don't have. That's human nature. And so the issue here is, is that what is it that can temper or put at bay my human nature? I can't, I can't control my own human nature because I'm the human. It's a very profound statement there I just made, okay? I, you, can't, we, how, you can't change your own nature. You're going to end up going there, and some people end up staying there. So the question is, well, then what happens, or what is the difference that having that relationship with God does? What happens is it affects my perspective of other people in a different way. And one of the ways that it does, particularly over here, is that you're, you find that you're able to rejoice with the success of others because you're not looking at it as if somehow they have more than you do and you got ripped off. You might have that thought, but what happens to that thought is that it gets affected by the fact that you become aware of or you just remember that God has given you everything and that everything you have comes from him, including everything that this person has comes from him, whether he's a believer or not. It, it, it changes the focus of your life. And no longer is the focus on who has more and who has less and when is it my turn, and I deserve better. And this is all the garbage that we hear in the world today and that people are using as a motivation. Now, could you be motivated to succeed in your life by thinking that way? Yes. Yes. A lot of people are, okay? But the problem is there's no joy in that. It's great. It's a joyous thing to be able to get to a point where you look at the success of other people and you go, man, that is awesome. I am so glad for you. And, and it's not pandering, right? It's not just sort of saying, well, you know, if I'm nice to you, you'll pay for my lunch. <laughs> Which I'm open to anytime you want to. <laughs> right? But it's not that. It's not manipulative. It's genuine. 
but it's genuine, see, only because it's fed by this. And so when, we're, when the focus in life is on God's grace, then what happens is the practice of gratitude becomes something that is natural and flows out of that. And you, you are not thinking about anything but that. What I've also found is kind of interesting is that in particular, when it comes to in want, especially if you are the one in want, right? What happens is you're, you go through a brain change and the brain change is that you learn that you have enough. Now, it doesn't mean you don't aspire to greatness or bigger things or better. That, it doesn't change that part of it. But I think if we go back to Philippians 4, I think what happens is we actually learn what Paul talked about. He said, I have learned to be content. So I've been kind of thinking about that this week. I thought about it during the sun, during the sermon today. Yeah, I was having I was having a split brain during that time. Well, because while I'm in church, while I'm in, while I'm in church, I'm thinking about it being in here. So it's not like it's just. I know sometimes it seems like I walk in and I don't know what I'm doing, but 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 really, actually, it it is. And so this is where. This is where my focus is this week. I'm trying to learn to be content and figure out what that is because I still aspire to doing great things. I want to do learn more things. I want to get better at what I do. I want to do that, okay? But so I'm trying to figure out what's the relationship of that to being content as opposed to being envious, being resentful. And so I kind of think that contentment is the is the uh, uh, the remedy, if you will, for resentment. I think. So anyway, I thought I would take you on that journey a little bit, and uh, um, let's see. At the end of class, will somebody take a picture of this so we can remember what what it was that was up here? Because we know there are probably some probably some person who will come up here and think, "Oh, what's that mess up there?" And they'll erase it. So, okay, you with me so far? All right. So um, let's get into our lesson. Uh, and so looking at stuff from last week, which will kind of fit with what I just put up on the board. So a life of immorality, number one, a life of immorality can kill your faith by deadening your need. Your, so it should be your felt need. Us, uh, I don't know who typed this up, but anyway, it's a, but it should be your felt need. We all need repentance, right? But the issue here is, is do I, am I aware of that? Okay. And what happens in a life of immorality is it deadens my sensitivity to that. Okay? My sensitivity to that. Let's see, what did I just read yesterday? That there's some organization now clearly biased, which has defined sex as anything you want it to be. And I'm talking about, I'm not, I'm talking about the act of sex. I'm not talking about gender and all that, that part of sex. Anything you want it to be, with anything or anybody. That sense. Clearly so far removed from the biblical definition and the blessing that God uh, intended for us to have in the confines, in the context of marriage. And this is totally, totally out of that realm. Okay? So it's just, it, 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 what it's promising is that 
if you give in to that, you have a life of immorality. And you will have the greatest joy and freedom ever in your life. And that's exactly what Satan said to Adam and Eve. If you just do this, you can have the greatest freedom ever in your life. And nobody's telling you what to do, or no church or no organization or no government is defining that for you. Well, golly, what a deal. Okay. Number two, orphans and widows are those who have no means of support and whose condition is not their fault. <laughs> Put the word not in there. You know, this is one of those things. I'm in there typing, I'm going, mm, and I'm thinking, thinking, and so I'm thinking in my head what I'm typing, and then I'm not typing it. And has this happened to any of you here? Put it in there. What, you reread it? <laughs> you proof it? <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, all right. Okay, I'm, I'm, thank you, Sharon. I'm going to add that to my list of things. All right, so again, he, remember he talks about true religion? James talks about that. And he says that those who, and, and the greater, I suppose we could say, uh, message there is for those who have no means of support. I mean, today, there's a lot of different means of support. However, I would say that given the... Uh, given how much of a, of a physical support or financial support that there is available, there still is emotional support, emotional support. What's kind of interesting is when I talk to people who have lost their spouse, sometimes coming to church is the hardest place to come. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because there is a certain intimacy that you experience with the Lord and with each other when you're sitting next to that person and you're elbowing that person during the sermon. There's a great intimacy there, right? Because you're hearing stuff that you just know would change that person's life if they would just do it. You know, you know this, right? Yes. And so what I've had people tell me is, is that they miss that touch. They miss that, that presence there, right? And so sometimes, not that we should all just start looking for each other and sit down next to each other, although I do that, but, but to be aware of that kind of support when we're not, think, we're probably only limiting that time, so our thought of support is more maybe financial and, you know, that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so maybe you know of this and would experience this. Okay, number three. Unlimited exposure to the world influences people away from a God-pleasing life. Um, and, and what that, some of the ways that it does that is people become objectified. We no longer see them as individuals or people, but we see them as a label, or we see them as a racial group, or we see them, if you're a Marxist, as somebody who's oppressed or somebody who is the oppressor. And so what happens is, is that the idea of that person as a person for whom Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again is not even considered. And that's one of the things that, see, we can bring that to the table. And we would think that it would ought to be brought to the table because it's natural for us to think that way. But the world does not. And so we... Uh, that's something we can be talking more about. There's a focus in the world on self-gratification, and there is impatience with something taking too long, right? Now, I've noticed that when I hit in my uh, late 60s that um, things take forever, but I'm impatient with it. So 
that when you're a kid, you know, things take too long. Oh, it's taking forever to get to Christmas, you know. And now it's like things are zooming by quicker than we can imagine, right? And then number four, favoritism is a symptom of judging a book Christ cover. So that's in the Bible. Don't judge a book Christ cover. Okay, with me so far? Okay, now before we get into our actual study, <laughs> as opposed to the other st study, what? Do what? Where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? It's in my Bible, isn't that in your Bible? <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover. Would somebody look that up in their Google Bible and see if that's in there? Yeah. We have a birthday to celebrate today. Yes. Nancy's birthday is today. So let's sing. Can we sing happy birthday? Now, before we do that, is there anybody else's birthday that we can totally embarrass you today and sing for you? Anybody? All right, let's do that, Nancy. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nancy. Happy birthday to you. Very nice, very nice. That was very good. There'll be a sign-up sheet for the choir immediately after. Dorothy will be thrilled to have 100 people in that choir. That'll be good. All right, well, let's get into this. Now, again, it's thinking about our relationship to people who have more or less from us. That's, that's still kind of what his thing is here. You have a question or a frown on your face? I'm not sure which one it is. They can have I know, but we assume that happiness comes from having a lot of stuff. It's just, it is a, I mean, some of it is probably living in a consumer-driven society, and we're inundated with messaging that says, if you buy this, you'll be happy. If you look like this, you'll be happy. If you this, if you this, if you this, if you this, you'll be happy. And the reality is, is you buy the stuff, and then what happens? Because you didn't get the right stuff. Right? And so then you need the stuff 2.0. That's what you need. And if you just wait long enough for it to come out, then the next one will come out, and then you'll be happy. And the reality is what? You'll be in debt. That's what the reality is. Somebody had their hand up. Yeah, Gina. First Samuel sixteen seven. First Samuel sixteen seven. What does it say? Boy, she bailed me out on that one. I didn't know that was in the Bible. Okay, there you go. Google it first. Do what? Google it first. I did not know it. I got Google has the answer to everything. Google is the answer. Yes. That is a very good point there. But we'll pretend this one is right. We'll say that is. All right, well, let's go into verse 5. We're in chapter 2. He says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? All right, so he's reminding them and us, right, 
that at the end of the day, God is the one who's the giver and God is the one who is the chooser. And that very often, the criteria by which we think people have it all together, including their spiritual walk, is way different because we, again, well, part of it, we can't look in a person's heart, right? But the assumption we make is that that person must be connected to God in some way because look how he has blessed them. And this is the fallacy behind prosperity preaching. Are you familiar with prosperity preaching? Yeah. You don't hear it much around here, but if you go on TV, no, that's it's true. If you, I mean, we don't, generally Lutheran churches don't do that, but there might be a little bit of that. But it still is this idea that if you do it right, you pray right, live right, do all the biblical principles exactly the way it is that's laid out in the Bible for you, then you will be prosperous. And if you're not prosperous, then you're doing it wrong, or you, you might have glitched off of one or two things. So just get your act together, do it right, and everything will be wonderful, right? Okay? But the problem with that, again, is it's making uh, judgments about the idea of one's relationship with God based on what you see. <clears throat> Jesus warned us against that. He said, we walk by faith, not by sight. That also puts in the center. You can do something to change it. Okay, say that again, because I've missed half of it. Go ahead. I said it puts us in the center. That what you just described about, hey, we, you know, if you do this, if you do that, if you do this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes it sound like we actually can do something about our condition. Well, okay, but there is a little balance there. Okay, so for example, if God has blessed me with a certain income and I live beyond my means, how am I, number one, bringing honor to God, and number two, how am I not putting myself in huge debt and poverty and then eventually that all comes due? And then I turn around and I say, well, God, I thought, you know, I mean, there is the aspect of this that I have to live in such a way that shows common sense and isn't just all about impulsive spending or how whatever it is that I'm doing, uh, thinking that that's going to make me a happy person, right? How many of you ever bought something and immediately regretted that you bought it? That's the beauty of Amazon. Have you noticed that? Yeah. All you have to do is come up with some lame excuse as to why that you're you're returning it. But and they believe anything, so it's just like the perfect thing. But but it didn't always used to be that way, right? I mean, sometimes you you buy it, you're stuck with it, right? Or if you break it, you own it. Isn't that what they say? Right. Okay. So, so again, it's just this idea that I think what he's saying is he's saying you all have God in your life. You all, you all are believers, but you're not living like you are. You're not, you're not demonstrating that there is a difference that that is making in your life. And what you're doing is probably succumbing to the peer pressure or to the group think that goes on when everybody in the group is saying, oh, yeah, we need to be friends with that rich guy. But over here, that poor guy, ooh, right? And, and, and they're not thinking in terms of how do I live that life that's grateful? That I have gratitude that for wherever I am. And that when my life can be filled with joy, it's because I'm focused on what God has done for me in Christ, not on material uh, benefit or wealth.
thoughts? Thoughts you have? Yeah. I feel like today in our society, like, Judging, like everybody's judging, but say the poor guy over here, mm -hmm. three, a lot of times they're there's, there's a lot of mental illness. Yeah, there is. Because you don't know if they're on drugs, you don't know if they're going to do it, you approach them. Mm -hmm. uh, like one time, there was a guy that looked like he was passed out on the stairway of the sub, on the train thing. Uh -huh. I called 911. Yeah. They came, and then he just yelled at me, why did I call the police? Well, I thought he was dead, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But Your good intent was well, misinterpreted by him, but also, you know, he might have been a little bit surprised or whatever. But yeah, but that bad experience cannot deter us. Right? <laughs> we we would remember it. But if we allow that to be the th reason why we now we don't go near anybody that's sleeping so on this. People passed him by, passing by, and we did. I, I, Bible story about the Good Samaritan. Yeah. Like everybody walking past. Yeah. Me, so I thought, but I had my grandkids with me, so I didn't want to. I I wasn't sure he was on the stairwell. Like he missed the last step, and he was just sprawled out. Mm -hmm. in the of, but people yeah. were walking all around him, mm -hmm. and I was afraid to try to see if he would wake up or if he was going down. You know, because yeah. he could have come out and. You know, sure. Well, you were thinking about the safety. For me, fear. Well, you were thinking though about the safety of the grandkids. Oh, okay. So, what would be a follow-up to that if you wanted, I'm not judging you at all, I'm just asking. Um, if you wanted to send a message to your grandkids that said, we do want to help people, but we want to do it in a way that is maybe a little safer, what would be a way to do that? <laughs> after that later like let's say a week later or a month later when you have them with you and the memory of that is you know in the past but there's still an opportunity to do to teach them or demonstrate to them that we do help people but we do it maybe in a little different way what would be a way to do that Anybody have thoughts about that? What you know, we right take them to a shelter where, where they're being provided for. Yeah, you take your grandkid. That's right. You take not that person, but you're taking your grandkids to that place, or you you provide some financial support for it, and then what you they witness that. See that way, then they can see that there are safe, structured ways to do it. As opposed to the only memory that they would have is the, of that of that moment when we didn't respond. Well, I think they they they're old enough that they of course they were very excited when the fire truck and everything. <laughs> See, boy, you're great great yeah, entertainment. I, I that was they, good. They kind of felt good that we did something because they were talking about everybody else just passing by. Okay. Know? So we did. So it wasn't lost on them. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Were they there to hear the guy yell at you and whatever expletives came out and, you know, I mean, again, it, but it, yeah, see, that's great. So you did do that. At least we did. Mm -hmm. we, whether he, he was asleep, we didn't know that. We yeah. He had knocked his head. Yeah. You didn't know. It looked like he had fallen. Right. You didn't so know. He said, well, it's better to check that, you know, maybe he didn't appreciate it. So good job. You did a good job with that. We did talk about yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Um, because kids are watching how we react to stuff. And if in our reacting, we're only leaving them with the reaction, then 
there's a maybe a moment lost there in terms of that. What I say on this is that I feel like because we've got so much mental health now. Oh yeah. I like if you're at a gas station or whatever, and you you see somebody, you know, you it's just not safe to. Well, you again, you 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 want to be you want to have some common sense, right? You don't you're not walking into that situation with twenty dollar bills hanging out of your pocket. I mean, you're not you're not doing that, right? It so, but there's there are ways to assist and ways to help that maybe are a little bit more um, safer, okay? But so often what happens is we use the issue of safety as a reason not to do something. And then we don't even do something when it would be safe to do it. And what James is saying is that, well, if that's the approach you take, then basically you're, um, you're not caring for somebody in some way. We have, we, I, I think we have an obligation to do that. I don't, I don't think it's just, yes, there's a joy to do it, and there is a, a response to do it. But I think we have an obligation to do it. And in a materialistic a society or a, an affluent area, it's just that much easier to just think in terms of I'm doing for me and my family and I'm not thinking about anybody else. And maybe we need to be rethinking that thinking. Okay. So anyway, that's kind of where we're going with this. All right. Now notice again, and, and we'll just mention it and then move on, is that James is making the case, why do you want to befriend people that are ripping you off? I mean, there is a there is a logic here that escapes him, doesn't it? Because he's saying these rich people that you just think are the best ever, they're the ones dragging you into court and suing you, and they're the ones that are blaspheming God's name, and uh, they're the ones that are exploiting you probably because you borrowed from them and they're charging you outrageous interest. The the practice of usury was uh, something that even the Old Testament prophets railed against because it was going on in Israel. It, was, it wasn't just going on with among pagans. It was going among the children of Israel were, were uh, exploiting each other in that sense. So, so this, is a real, this was a real thing. And, and he's saying, you know, open your eyes and see it for what it is. Don't be blinded by the sort of glamour that goes along with it. I would wonder if today we would say that it's maybe less about how much money you have and more about how much celebrity you have. Because celebrity status today on social media by so-called influencers, and, and all an influencer is is someone who's rich in hits. And so whatever you can do to get hits on the internet where people are looking at you, talking about you, saying, oh, yeah, 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 then what happens is uh, you, got, you, you have it made in the eyes of the world. And so people today, kids today, are pursuing careers on TikTok, okay? By just making as many videos as you can, no matter how outrageous they are, how ridiculous they are, um, the more you get, the better off you are. And that's the thinking for a lot of young people today. How many of you have seen the Barbie movie? Oh. Uh, <laughs> what do you think, Shannon? Did you like it? It was better than I anticipated. Oh, I that's took a good a, answer. I, I took a group of girls that wanted yeah, to you, And so, so the girls liked I it. I was like, okay, I'll go. Yeah. But because I was older, I I read, I got more of the 
higher thinking. The Seth, Seth Harley. Yeah, than right. they did. But yeah. she made some really, there's this big scene where she does this big speech mm-hmm. about being a woman in today's society and everything. Yeah. It, it was very true. Okay. And I don't know if the kids got it as much as I got it, mm-hmm. but I think it was right on about being, having to look this way to yeah. be this way, skinny and blonde, this way, skinny yeah, and blonde, sure. and also like working in like society as a as a mom. Well, you if you don't do this as a mom, then, mm-hmm. but if you do do this, they'll talk about you. But if you don't do this, that's they'll pretty talk good about message. You. So it was that's it was pretty good really, message. It was a very I hope it did. I hope that message didn't get lost and all the other stuff yeah, that goes so along with the movie. I I really thought it was neat. Yeah, it's I good. think you had to be at a certain age to really. Mm-hmm. How many of you grew up with Barbies around your house? Yeah. See, when somebody says Barbie, I think immediately of naked, headless Barbies. <laughs> That's the way it was in our house. I got three sisters. And there, and each one got the new Barbie, and then passed it down to the next one, to the next one. And so the uh, headless naked, naked Barbies. That's that's in my head. That's that's exactly there. I can't I can't even get that out of my head whenever I'm thinking about that. Yeah. So you know, it just is what it is. But the uh, uh, apparently the movie has had some 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 uh, reviews. There's also been some controversy about. Um, the number of Oscars that had been nominated for it, and then somebody got nominated and somebody didn't. Oh, here, here we go, here we go. You know, how come I didn't get it? Well, it must have been racial. I mean, that, no, you just weren't as good. That's all it is, right? Okay. All right, well, let's go to verse 8 finally. He says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, so love your neighbor as yourself. So let's put that up here. So when my life is driven by gratitude out of God's grace for me, then the idea of loving you flows out of you because that's what feeds it. Love your neighbor as yourself is way different than love your neighbor because you like him or you want to be liked by him. Okay? And because that is a problem, see, then love becomes a selfish thing. Well, I'm only going to love you to the extent that you love me. I'm only going to be nice to you to the extent that you you uh, are nice to me. If you can just keep your leaves from blowing into my yard, then I will like you a lot more, right? I mean, that's that. This is kind of a practical way that sometimes that that love your neighbor as yourself takes a hit. But but that's the thing that gets fed by a life that is focused in on the idea that everything you already have comes from God, and if 
God hasn't given to it to you, well, there's probably some reason why he's protecting you from it. See, that would be an amazing way to think about it, wouldn't it? I guess God, I guess God really knows that I couldn't handle being a billionaire. Because I'm not. And I think he's right. See? So it's just, it's just thinking about it that way changes your whole perspective toward whether you have a lot or whether you have none or whether you have something in between. Now, I've said to him many times, try me. <laughs> but he, I, he's saying no. And I am, you know, okay, we're going to have an argument about that. Yeah, Stephen. Um, besides, uh, you know, reading the Bible and following the example of Christ, as a pastor and, and counselor, uh -huh. what have you seen, what qualities have you seen in people that, exhibit unconditional love, which is what we're really talking about here, I think. Oh, sure, Stephen, you would ask me that. <laughs> um, well, I, so I would say that there are some practices that we do to reinforce the qualities. Because if you have the qualities, but you're not actually practicing it, then you're kind of contradicting your, what's in you. And I think eventually you undo what's in you. Maybe not destroy it, you just get less. Okay. So, um, okay, so let's see what would be some of those things. Well, again, um, I talked about this a little bit last week. Living within your means so that you can be generous to other people. Rather than just living uh, within your means because you were raised that way and you think that's the right thing to do. It is. But if the motive is beyond yourself into, I want to be generous to other things, then I'm going to make some sacrifices on my end in order to make it possible that that can happen on a different in a different realm. That would be one thing. Okay. Because I, I have found, or I am finding, that this right here um, could just simply become an academic exercise, right? Where I'm, okay, I'm really happy, I'm living it, I'm focused on it, I'm praying about it, but I'm not, I'm not exercising it. You know, it, if you think of this like a muscle, okay, think of it that way, um, how, do, how does a muscle get stronger? Those of you that have muscles, as we get older, our muscles go away, right? But what? What? Those of you that have, like Kyle, you have muscles. So, uh, oh, you don't have muscles? Okay, sorry. Anyway, um, how, how does the muscle get stronger? You work it. You exercise it. You you uh, you strain it though. It's a strain. There's not. You know, you're like, oh, 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 oh. In college, our muscles was like this, so that's how we did. Um, but, but that's not that's not exerting it, right? So if you want to exert, if you want to grow this, um, exertion would be to push yourself in terms of generosity. And it doesn't mean sell everything you have and give it away. It's just, it's just, you, 
there's an incremental sort of thing that you have to do, just like you would have to do if you were just starting out with a weight program. You don't go and deadlift 400 pounds. You don't do that because if you do, you're going to break every muscle in your body, and then everybody else is going to be taking care of you and resenting you. <laughs> okay? So why be that test for somebody else? Right? But it's the idea of thinking that way and then reinforcing it. So that, uh, Stephen, I, got, I don't know if that answered your question now, but, but that would be one way in my head, and maybe that's because what I'm trying to do right now is think in terms of, so here's an example. So um, during the freeze, the refrigerator that we had in our garage went boink. Now, here's the thing. It was a side-by-side, -side, freezer on one side, refrigerator on the other side, okay? On the freezer side, we keep basic life necessities. And in the uh, uh, refrigerator side, we keep basic life uh, liquid necessities. <laughs> That's why you have a refrigerator, freezer in the garage. Well, unbeknownst to me, when you hit sustained freezing temperatures, that affects the freezer, and the freezer went out, and you can't fix it. And we're very annoyed by that because we bought that thing 30 years ago, and it ought to last. <laughs> I mean, come on. What? They just don't make things anymore the way they used to, right? Okay? So, so now we're thinking, okay, what do we do? What do we do? So we emptied out all the stuff in the freezer, put it in the upstairs uh, uh, refrigerator, crammed everything in, took stuff out that we didn't need anymore, which was a good thing. But now what do we do? Because we have half of the thing works, and we're using it. And I said, well, okay, how about if I go and find us a, you know, one of those chest freezer things, and then, but our garage is so crammed full of stuff that now I'm going to have to clean out the garage in order to even fit that thing in there. So here's, here's to get into my point, okay? Some things are necessities that would stretch you beyond your means a little bit. But if you've been practicing the idea of living within your means, or even under it, then you, what you have is something available in case the emergency thing comes along. Okay, The thing that we're doing that we have never done before, I'm not recommending it, I'm just saying that we've never done it before and we're doing it is we're actually saying prayers over expenditures. And I'm thinking that once we buy that freezer, I'm saying a prayer over it as well, you know, because it's still in the garage, and, you know, I don't know what the cold would do to it. Maybe I have to wrap it in something. But anyway, it's just, it, it's, a different, it, it's a different way of doing stuff, right? But it's fueled by a different way of thinking about it, and then wanting to... Put God at the, on the test, if you will, in terms of his promises and say, well, okay, you promise to provide. And maybe sometimes providing means that stuff lasts a long time. Maybe it means that you make do. You know, I don't know that a lot of us grew up in the generation of making do, but I guarantee our parents did and our grandparents did. And they made stuff last forever. Or they just said, well, we'll do the best we can. And so in... In a society like we have, the idea of fixing it or, you know, holding it together with chewing gum and bailing wire is, is just not something that's thought of. 
but maybe that's part of it. Okay, so I, I guess, I don't know, again, that's a long answer to a very simple but profound question, Stephen. Thank you so much. Did you have some thoughts about it? And we were just talking about being in plenty and in warmth. Yeah. And uh, society's trying to tell you how to be successful. Yeah. And, um, of course, being in the Word helps that. Mm -hmm. It's hard to combat that. Yeah. You know, friends, neighbors, you know, other family members. And, uh, like your example, how do I really show gratitude in an action way? Mm -hmm. I just think it in my head. That's right. kind of what I was wondering. Yeah, and that, so I use that example. So it is a, a tangible action, yeah. okay, that is beyond just what I'm thinking about or just what I'm feeling. And, and I think the thing that came to my mind was more like a grandmother, my grandmother, who would work to take care of her children. Mm -hmm. And she was very gracious about what she had, which was very little. Yeah. But she would share that with all of her children, like mm -hmm. making clothes. Yeah, like absolutely. That. The ministries that we do. Sure. Um, and uh, being courageous enough to do that. Yeah. There's some people here that go on trips and mm -hmm. give their time and all Yeah, that. which is okay. If a person wants to do that, that's okay. But, right. but you're asking me about ways that I'm reinforcing that. And there may be some other things I'm doing too, but I'm not thinking about it at the time. That's This is the current thing for me. Yeah. I don't think it has to be a big act. I think it'd be something as small as holding the door open for somebody, smiling at somebody, you know, just being kind. Because sometimes that really just opens the door to having either a discussion or, hey, they pass it on to someone else. I mean, we get caught up in thinking it's money and big acts and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. But sometimes the smallest things actually just, they cause people to pause. And that's kind of what I go after is I want that pause. I just want you to kind of take that pause, think for a second, and then, yeah, you can go on your merry way. But for a second there, you, you know, wonder why did that person do that? Have the rules changed about that? How many, it used to be that you would open the door for a woman, a guy would do that. And, and then it felt like it sort of changed, like that was some sort of disparaging act. Reverse, oh it is? You can hold the door for me? No, I, no thank you. I'm going to open the door for you. I am. I'm old school. Yeah, but I just don't know. I mean, sometimes those rules change. Don't they? And then, and then people my age don't know what to do with that. So like if someone's got their hands full coming out of a restaurant and you walk in the door, why would you let that door just close in their face? I wouldn't. I'm just Male, saying. Female cat dog. Why does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I touched the nerve just now. So. <laughs> I love it when I do that. I love it. Electricity going back and forth right now. Did you see it? Yes. <laughs> All right, very good. All right, so here's the thing. So we all do this. Let's see what color I want. We all do this. We have our list, right? Here's the list. Here's big, and here's little. Okay, so what's on your sin list? What's on your sin list? Everybody, come on, time to, time to confess. Sloth. Now, big or little? Large. <laughs> okay. Here we go. 
We're getting the confessions now, let me tell you. All right, sloth. That, that's a, one of those great words that nobody uses anymore, but it is a great word. Okay, what else? Now, here's what I'm, where I'm going with this, because based on what he's saying. He's saying, okay, if you murder somebody, that's big. If you commit adultery, that's big. And most of us would say, that is big. We would say, oh my gosh, that's terrible. That You should confess that, and you should stop doing it, because God really will hate that in you. And then we say, yeah, but these other little ones aren't that big a deal. So what are the little ones that aren't that big a deal? Judge. Little white lies. What? Who? What? Little white lies. Oh, white lies. Yes. That is a good one. Mm, cursing. How about that one? Yeah. What about, uh, what about if you don't tell somebody the whole story, but you just tell them part of the story? Is that a lie? Is that a lie? Lie by omission. Lie by omission? Is that what that's called? Lie by omission. Yes. Lie by omission. Have you ever thought to yourself that if I tell her the whole thing, that it will just hurt her feelings? And so therefore, I don't want to hurt her feelings. And so I will just tell her the part of it that, you know, is won't hurt her feelings. Have you ever, anybody ever had that thought before? Anybody ever had that slammed back in your face that, that you shouldn't have done that? Why not? I mean, is it wrong to not want to hurt somebody's feelings? No. That's a good thing, to not want to hurt somebody's feelings. But what are you trading for not hurting their feelings? Trust. Trust. So I tell a lot of young husbands that. Okay, I do. And I have to remember that myself. Is that if I say, well, gosh, I don't want to hurt her feelings. I need to remember that I'm hurting her feelings even more if I don't tell her. Right? So kind of a cool thing. All right, what other little sins that you would say, no big deal? <laughs> that is not a sin. Because, well, no, now it's a good thing that we had communion today. Because I'm forgiven. Then that's I'm living free, driving free. Yes. Okay. All right. Do what? What? Gossip. Oh my gosh. Boy, we're kind of getting personal here, aren't we? Gossip. Yeah. Yeah. See, we say, well, you know, that's sharing. <laughs> it's a big sin. Why? How? How come it's a big sin? Because it does a lot of damage. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing that James is saying. <laughs> It doesn't matter. No difference. No difference. Yeah, sure. Uh, in a temporal way, in our relationships, maybe there is a somewhat of a difference, right? But not to God. Not to God. 
And so he's saying, yeah, your human nature is to try to divide it up and say, well, that one needs forgiveness, but nah, not worried about that one. I don't need to change that one, but boy, we need to change that one. Yeah, Kathy. Okay. One missing on the day of judgment seems to be it's human nature. We want to judge what the other person's doing. Yeah, now we are called to look at people's actions. Matthew, Matthew 5 talks about that. Matthew 7 talks about that. So we are called to do that. But the hard thing for us is that we look at actions and judge the heart. But, you know, like, like Jesus says, you know, you know a tree by its fruit. And, and so we have that obligation. But I do think there is a manner in which we do it, right? And if I do it in such a way that looks like I'm better than you are, you know, or I'm closer to God than you are, I mean, all that kind of stuff. Well, now I've stepped over into that. I think there's a lot of confusion today about, about looking at people's actions, okay? I, I, you know, there's a lot in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about the obligation that we have to each other in terms of those actions. But again, the way I do it is going to make a huge difference in terms of whether it actually has the effect or whether it blows up in your face. Okay, well, we're almost done with, uh, how hard did we get? Like two verses today. That was awesome. So we're going to pick it up because I'm going to want to talk more next time about um, the relationship of mercy to judgment, okay? Because that's an important distinction that we make, right? But it doesn't mean that we uh, give up judgment in deference to mercy. It's mercy and judgment is kind of what it is here, okay? So um, we'll do that, and then... uh, I got to go back to work. So there you go. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the way that your word continues to engage us, to make us think, but not just think, help us do. It's kind of that idea of trust God and do good. Let's figure out what the good is to do. And then what we can do is we can reinforce the growth that we're experiencing in our faith. Thank you for giving us everything and for not uh, being stingy with us. But at the same time, Lord, you're also aware of what we can handle. And so the way in which you give and, and the quantity or the quality in which you give should in no ways affect how we are generous to each other and other people. So give us that opportunity, open our eyes to see that opportunity this week. And then as we grow in that, we can celebrate that. So watch over us this week, Lord, until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.